unique ways with Thomas Gerard emerges with people from all walks of life who through their own unique angle succeed and flourish. Enjoy the ride and welcome to Unique Ways, an audio podcast. Hey, hey everyone, welcome to Unique Ways with Thomas Gerard, an audio podcast. We've got an awesome guest today who has a 25-year track record developing new customer experiences for global retail brands. He's led research and design projects for brands like Nike, Starbucks, and Ford. Please join me in welcoming Paul Condor. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You ready for 20 questions? Let's do it. Question one, tell me a little bit more about yourself. What do you do? Um, my, as you said, my name is Paul Condor. I lead the experience design team here at Callison RTKL. I'm based here in New York. Uh, we are a global architecture and design practice. We have several different practices within that. And one of them is retail, another is hospitality. And I work primarily in those two, although I'm working in other fields as well. Um, for example, healthcare, I've done a few projects in that. Um, I'm from Ottawa originally. I uh, moved to Vancouver kind of like everybody else did when I graduated um, in the early 90s. Uh, I started off in industrial design and that gradually morphed its way into experience design and innovation consulting as my career progressed. And uh, I moved to New York in 2016 uh, to take on my current role here at CUTKL. Um, that I get a lot of questions around what experience design is and part of the question is sort of what do I do? So um, experience design, the easy way to think of it is helping really big complex organizations like um, a huge retailer with lots of different stores or a healthcare provider or even some bigger clients like um, at scale of a city or a government uh, deliver really great experiences for the users and their customers and their staff. And um, those experiences help tell different stories about what those brands are about. So uh, you mentioned Starbucks. I mean, for them, their brand is all about convenience and value. So you have to design experiences that make that work uh, within the context of experience of, of convenience and value. Um, or a luxury brand might be more interested in something that's very high touch and personalized and maybe has some spectacle to it, right? And feels, you know, really sort of intimate with the customer. Um, and so when we're when we're working with a brand, we're thinking about how to articulate their story through these experiences that we're creating. And, and where the rubber hits the road really is that the experiences that people have now with brands aren't just living in one channel. And what I mean by that is the idea that if you're shopping now, you've probably already educated yourself about the, pro the product that you're interested in online. You might have a, a phone that is uh, running you know, all sorts of different websites or apps or whatever that are actually giving you comparative pricing or you're reading reviews on the on the products that you're looking at. So shopping is no longer something that lives within just the store. It's something that lives within a much larger ecosystem of touch points that gets into services and digital touch points, things like that. My job is to coordinate all that. Um, so we play in this space where um, we tackle these sort of big problems, focusing on the user's needs first. It's not really just about the technology. It's more a lot. It's a lot more to do with sort of empathizing with the customer, understanding what their needs are, and designing experience for them uh, across all these channels at once. Uh, and you know, it could be about how do you create a really seamless retail experience that's super convenient, like Amazon, but also has the same quality of someplace like a Nordstrom. Or it could be about creating an urban transit solution that incentivizes people to use way less carbon 
but you still get to work on time. I mean, I would love to redesign the DMV because <laughs> that's a great combination of, of uh, service and physical and, and digital channels all colliding in one place to be able to create a sort of experience and end-to-end -end sort of sequence of things that you do to connect with the place. Awesome. Um, just a note for our audience, you know, Paul and I met something like 20 years ago. I was a teacher yeah. in art school. Um, and yeah, uh, it's super interesting to, to be on this side of the table. Um, number two is what's a key piece of knowledge that makes you different? Um, well, when we met, I was teaching industrial design and that's where I got my start. Um, and I realized roughly around that time, roughly around 20 years ago, that the reason that brands fail or businesses fail usually has very little to do with, or, with whether or not the product works. We've gotten pretty good at making the product work. And the challenge usually is whether or not you have a good enough understanding of the people that are using it. And so I like to think that that's one of the things that I've really developed over the last few years is being able to have sort of an empathy with the humans in the equation and understanding what their needs are and understanding um, how people interact in spaces and, and with, with digital products and things. But then beyond that, seeing design as design has really shifted a lot from being the sort of you know, lone genius hunched over a drafting table to being a facilitator of a much larger conversation. You can't do this kind of work if you're not um, including a lot of different points of view and really listening to people um, and bringing lots of, you know, sort of diversity of point of view around the table to be able to, to figure out, you know, crack the solution. And so um, I think my process is a little bit different than a lot of other designers, not all. I'm not unique in this. There's others that work this way too, but it's something that I've really um, pushed hard on in the last 20 years. And then um, also I, 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 I'm fluent across several different production channels. Normally when you're in, um, when you go to architecture school, you learn about construction. And when you go to industrial design school, you learn about manufacturing. You go to digital design school, you learn about you know coding and wireframes and prototypes and things. And I, I think I've got a wide enough purview across all of those that I'm able to integrate them at the top level and then work with people who are specialists to be able to make uh, make the experience real um, in the real world. So um, tying all that together is sort of sort of my my top line, sort of um, the thing that I probably do a little bit differently than other people. That's great. You know, it's coming up more and more, this idea from 20 years ago of the ivory tower kind of designer that knows all versus what we're at today, which is very collaborative and kind of um, full of mistakes that we kind of work through. It seems like you're really embracing this kind of new way of design. Yeah, thanks. I I I, I appreciate that. I, I I think that's where it's gone. And I think that's the way younger designers are working. I, mm -hmm. I think there's a generational difference there uh, because we were taught differently. I think they're teaching design in school this way now. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're seeing new graduates come in with a much more collaborative kind of open approach as opposed to being the person that has to have all the ideas. You know, I usually come into it saying, I'm not gonna come up with the big ideas on this. This is gonna come out of the group. Um, but, I, but I can facilitate the conversation and get people talking, which is more where my skill set lies. Awesome, number three is why this of all things, why do you do what you do? Um, I've always seen this as a, a, an intersection of three things. And it's like, it's super simple. I, one is that it's something I love to do. I really enjoy this process and I enjoy it more and more as I get further into it. Um, and, and I learn more and, and, and I get better at it. 
Um, so it, it, it's definitely something I love to do. Um, it's something that I think I'm fairly good at. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I actually, I think that I've got to a point now where I can deliver a very consistent product and I've always been, been pretty good in that space. And I sort of just have a, you know, a propensity to be able to do this. And then it's something that has a fair amount of value for other people. So it's something that I'm, I can charge for. <laughs> and it's all sorts of things that I really like and that I'm not bad at, but I might not be able to make money at it. Uh, and this is something where it, it, if you get this right, the value to the client is really huge. I mean, we, we can unlock all sorts of revenue. We can connect brands with new new customers. We can open up new acquisition channels. We can keep people more loyal. Um, and we can do it all very transparently, um, which is which is great because we, we get to work with some fairly big brands and and with them as partners, it's 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 amazing the um sort of the 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 upside that you can create. So, you know, three things there. It's so, you know, good at it, love to do it, and and there's value in it. And I, I'm super lucky in that when I think about it. When I put that there, when I just said that, I'm like, how lucky am I that I I get to have that i know this is it's actually quite rare so well what, what struck me there was the, the word facilitator um you know i know what it's like to be an educator and play that facilitator role but it's super interesting to hear about that in practice yeah it's it, it's actually a lot more like design actually looks a lot more like teaching i mean when we met i was i was teaching mm-hmm. and um i gradually my career has moved more and more to something that looks like uh, not teaching like broadcasting in a lecture hall or something, but teaching like more like you would do it in graduate school where you're, you're, you know, you're working with the students and, and learning is, is, is really two ways. I mean, I, I, I picked up so much from my students when I was, uh, when I was working at the school and, and I, I still learn tons from everybody around the table here. And so I, th- I think that two-way dialogue is really, uh, really important it's part of why i like this so much and part of sort of what keeps you i know this is a question that might be coming up a bit later but it's part of sort of part of what keeps you fresh yeah we have um debbie millman booked for tomorrow who's the chair at school of visual arts and the master of branding program i'm super to hear super interested to hear her um views on all of this i think that's um, going to be a great great call that sounds great awesome um number four what does your future look like um I'm always somebody who's uh, sort of trying to plot that out a little bit. Um, I, I sat in a lecture by a, a, a couple of futurists, and one of them said that, you know, super useful exercise to understand your intentions for the future, but you're probably going to be totally wrong about predicting it. <laughs> so um, I, I, I'm really happy with it, just work-wise, I'm really happy with the progress that we've made um, here in building out our team. And and the progress that we've had is sort of radiating our firm and, and, and getting trying to get to scale, which has been great. We've, we've had a really good ride doing that, especially over the last year or two. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities for us that haven't realized themselves yet, and they're right there. And so it, I think it's going to be a really exciting time because we're, we're at the point now where we've got a really great team established and we're able to really move forward very quickly. And, and that's, that's been great. Um, the whole uh, transition over to working here has been really They've been really, really good to me as far as creating an environment for growth, which has been great. Um, and then scaling up globally is going to be our focus. I already spent a fair amount of time on airplanes. There might be a little bit more of that. Um, but we really sort of hit our stride. And also, I'm I'm really loving New York. So I, I see myself here as a base going forward. I, I, I really enjoy that part of it. And so I want to hang on to that bit. 
Nice. And number five, and I guess, you know, in terms of uh, the geographic, let's talk about location. How does the notion of place play into what you do? It, there's a lot of ways to sort of think about that question. Um, just on the really pragmatic one, I mean, I, I moved to New York after five years of extremely intensive travel for work. I was doing a lot of consulting and I was out usually, usually 50 weeks a year. And uh, that gets really heavy. And being in a, a mega city like this, that's so dense and has so much going on in it. Um, I haven't had to travel quite like that. I still travel for a bit, but not, not like that. And so when I came to New York, uh, I'm probably the only person whose blood pressure actually went down in that process because <laughs> I had a, um, I had the ability to do a lot more work near here. And there's something uh, great about the idea of putting yourself in a place where the opportunity is, um, as opposed to having to, you know, reach for it every week. So that, that part of it's been good. Um, but when I think about your question another way, I, you know, place informs the work that we do because we are part of an architecture and interior design firm. And part of what we do is think about how we localize the experience based on culture, based on, um, you know, design, aesthetics, local needs, climate, you know, all sorts of things. And so when we're working with these larger brands, things change from, from place to place quite a bit. And we generally find that the brands that have figured out how to localize their offering and make it more relevant at a local level tend to succeed a little better. Um, a great example of that, and we didn't work on this project, but we worked a fair amount with Nike, but um, they did a project in Los Angeles where they only stock the store with stuff that's been ordered within a 10 mile radius. So the mm -hmm. store just responds to the e-commerce data that's coming from around it. Yeah. That's a that's a really good example. Or, or Nordstrom putting in their local um, services where, you know, in large cities, they're able to do omni-channel fulfillment and, um, you know, have a really localized offering, but they don't have the whole store there. They just have the services and they have the drop-off and they have the delivery and they have the returns. That kind of thing, getting things closer to people, I think is is a pretty big trend in the industries that are working. Nice. Number six, if you had to start from scratch, what advice would you give your former younger self? I, I sort of sweated over this one. I was sort of thinking about how to, what I would say to myself. Um, I don't think about this a lot, but uh, it came down to me for sort of trusting your gut a little better. Um, there were a lot of times, and I've worked in, in several different um, sort of organizations and and kind of fields, you know, I've been teaching and, and, and manufacturing and things like this until I got into the consulting thing. Um, and all the way through it, I, I think I go back and I tell myself to trust my gut a little bit better. There, there were a lot of times where my senses were kind of telling me, um, something and I wasn't really able to put my finger on it. And uh, I didn't listen to myself as well as I could have. And a lot of the time I turned out to be right. It's not that I would, um, reduce the risks that I took. It's like, I'd probably actually take a few more. Um, but it's more in how I would handle, uh, those risks in the moment. I think I would probably, you know, my, my gut reaction is, is, was better than I gave myself credit, I think. And, um, I'd probably also tell myself that I had a bit more power to make changes than I thought I did at the time. Mm -hmm. When you're starting out, you, you sort of think that you're 
kind of moving with the currents because you know there's economic forces and you know wherever you are where where you're living whatever the opportunities are presented to you you respond to them and i, I think and and maybe younger people now are a bit smarter about this but i i think um saying you know what i have the power to change this at least within my own sphere uh and really going with that i think is you know i was pretty good in that respect but i think i'd, I'd want to bolster my strength in that a little bit better nice what's a day in your life like um, well, pretty well every day, I find myself doing some kind of a charrette or a workshop where I've got a group of people and we're, we've got a whiteboard or sticky notes or prototypes or whatever we're doing. And we try things out and we, you know, throw our opinions around the table and it's a very flat, non-hierarchical kind of conversation. So that's, that's the sort of conversation that I tend to facilitate. And that's kind of where the design comes from. Mm. Um, I really, that's probably my favorite thing to do in a work day um the rest of the time i'm either doing creative direction which is fun too um or you're working more one-on-one -on -one and sort of making sure that you've got the quality you're looking for and that things are staying on track um and then i, I do a fair amount of uh, meeting clients and doing business development work which i really enjoy that as well uh i tend to travel um a fair bit too now that covid's sort of waning off um and, uh, you know, I, I look back on it and I think about the intensity that people threw at, at work in, in design school is sort of the idea that, oh, excuse me, I'll just get rid of that. Um, you know, the, the intensity that people put into work at design school and, and uh, you know, you asked what I would tell myself earlier. It's like, you know what, as, as you get further into this, you enjoy it more mm -hmm. and it, it's not as heavy a lift as you get better at it. And so young designers, like you, people come out of school and they sort of have these expectations, they're going to throw a hundred hours a week at something. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's not like that in the working world. I mean, companies can't operate that way, first of all, but it's also, it's, it's, it's something where it's way more collaborative. You've got, um, you know, people that you can ask for advice quicker. You've got way more collaborative creative sessions. You've got opportunities to be able to grow in different ways that suit your, uh, working style and your preferences and your skills and your interests and and you know a good company is able to offer you all that and that's the kind of place I feel like I'm in right now mm. and I um I you know it's it's I just sort of you know would go back to <laughs> go back to school and say you know what it's actually really great out here <laughs> you know it's it's uh it's it's not the kind of thing that where you know it's the, the uh the young student sort of comes out and you know thinks that they're dealing with you know, kind of insurmountable workloads and a lack of opportunity. It's just the opposite. Yeah, I'm reminded of when I was a kid slash designer and my designer family friend pulled me over and said, um, it gets easier. Um, yeah. Number eight, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it really it really does. And, you know, it, it, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure where that comes from in design school, but it's something that, that, that you know, maybe it's changing. I, I hope that, I hope that's changing. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry. Number eight, lifelong learning is a popular topic these days. How do you stay up to date? Um, for me, the best way to stay up to date is to build a network within the community of people and do it through uh, conversations and just being around people that I think are really smart and also getting out of my own head and not just talking to designers. Mm -hmm. uh, designers are great. And, you know, there's there's lots of inspiration there. But what else you got? A, a lot of the big things that have pushed on design have come from outside of the field. Um, and I think the design fields can be a little bit insular. So 
you know, building that community outside, I think, I think is, is really important. And, and that's coming back online a lot more now, um, you know, now that COVID sort of passed off. Like, for example, a, a colleague of mine and I just visited um, a digital design lab at Columbia um, and uncovered all sorts of areas where there could be potential collaboration and areas that we were, that we were um, you know, learning things from about different things that they were, that they were working on and areas um, with all sorts of, you know, sort of new ideas bubbling up. And it was really inspiring. Um, and, and also, you know, something that I benefit, I think benefited everybody there. I, I'd much rather do that than try to get to a place like that by reading about it. Um, I feel like you touched on nine a bit, but what tools do you use? Are you a digital nomad? Uh, um, I can be. I travel very, very light. I'm able to do just about anything remotely if I want to. Um, and I did quite a bit of that during COVID. I mean, I moved to San Diego for six months for a project there. Mm. Um, and normally I'd be flying back and forth, but that just wasn't feasible with COVID. And so my wife and I just, you know, picked up shop and moved out there and she could work remotely. So it was and it was it was great. And we, you know, we did that in a few other locations too in Europe and things. And it, it that was fantastic. But for me, there's no replacement for face-to-face -face interaction when it comes to intensively trying to design an experience. Mm. Like having the right people in the room. And I think you kind of have to be in the room. I haven't like, you can do it on Zoom mm. and it's not bad, but it's it's just not the same. Mm -hmm. And now we're getting back to those things. Now, whether I'm the nomad or whether the clients are coming to us or however that's working out, you know, I can't define it, but I, I'm, I'm not somebody who wants to sit on a teleconference for eight or nine hours a day and say that that's my job. I, I just, I'd go crazy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Halfway here. Number 10, how do you mm -hmm. deal with work-life balance? Uh, I, you know, like I said, I mean, our, our our firm is pretty good that way, and and as as are most of our our uh, our competitors. And so I, I don't feel like I can't take time when I need it, uh, or that I'm on call like two four seven or anything like that. So I can get the balance that I need. Um, and I I uh, I personally, you know, I I always want to make time, uh, you know, to be able to spend with my wife, to be able to be at home, but then also be able to get away. We love to travel. Um, and, uh, you know, just, you know, have a little bit of fun, smell the roses, that kind of thing. I, I don't, uh, but I, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a barrier. I've never really had a problem with work-life balance. I might be a little bit of, I might work, I might, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely somebody that will work 40 hours a week if I, and plus like easily up that um, and be very happy doing it. That's not, that's not the issue. It's just, I, I've never really felt out of balance in that space. Um, 11 is if you weren't doing what you do now, what would you be doing? Um, I, I think I would probably would have taken a stab at producing music. I, I love working with a band in a studio, uh, not necessarily as an instrumentalist, but I, I can, I can do that, but, um, just bringing out the sound of a band and what makes them and a song kind of special. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not really an expert in that space. I mean, I'm not Brian Eno or anything, but, um, that's probably where I've put myself. If I was starting over at 21 and there was a fork in the path, I seriously considered it. And then I wound up in design, mm. um, which was, you know, similarly felt like it was a good creative kind of space. Uh, I could, I, I could have seen making that other choice. I could, I could have seen doing it. 12. What would you not like to do in terms of your career? Uh, worst job for me would probably be accountant. Mm. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, I, I can do it. I can actually, I can actually do it and I can actually sort of enjoy it for a little while, but I mean, I, 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 I'm, I don't connect with that particularly well as a, as a lifelong <laughs> task or anything like that. I, it, that sort of space doesn't really do much for me. What's your favorite word, quote, or sentence? Uh, I thought about this. My favorite word is blimp, just because I like the way it sounds. Blimp. Um, if I was going to pick a favorite quote, um, I would, and we're going to keep it in design, I would probably say that it had something to do with um, Bill Buxton when mm. he was speaking about the idea of a Renaissance team. Uh, Bruce Mao speaks about this one a fair bit too. Mm. Uh, where the problems of the present day are too complex for a Renaissance man or Renaissance person to figure out, and you need a group of people with diverse talents, skill sets, and expertise to be able to work together in a collaborative environment to be able to crack the solutions that we need for contemporary problems. And so instead of a Renaissance man, you have a Renaissance team, and I love that idea. And the designer's role in that is to facilitate that conversation. I'm glad you brought up Bruce Mao. A previous guest, Dr. Marco Bevelo, um, worked in an office right beside Bruce Mao's office in, in Europe um, for, for, a port, for a time and, uh, and kind of uh, talks about it a lot. Um, number 14 is what's your least favorite word quote or sentence? Uh, whenever I hear someone say, I'm going to play devil's advocate, <laughs> I hate that. Like, you know, who let the devil's lawyer in the room kind of, I, 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 um, whenever you hear that, it, it easily turns into a conversation killer. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I think that's probably my pet peeve. 15. If you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what would you choose? Lucky. Very, lucky. very lucky to, uh, hmm. be, uh, so fortunate to have, uh, to be able to do what I do and love it so much and have everything else around me, my family, my health. Uh, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I feel, I, I feel very, very blessed, fortunate. So let's call it lucky. What keeps you up at night? Uh, I sleep pretty well. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I don't tend to worry or frazzle on things very much. Uh, it tends to be, if it, if there is something that, that gets under my skin a little bit, it can be sort of like, uh, it tends to be things that you can work out in the morning fairly easily, you know, organizational challenges or anything like that. But it's always something that, that you know, a few conversations you can solve it. What's the dream you're chasing? Um, I've shared a fair bit about um, work already and where we want to go with that. So I won't focus on that. But uh, my mom passed away recently and uh, my wife, Ro, and I got to talking a lot. Uh, around that time about living with more intention uh, to sort of maximize the potential of the time that you've got mm -hmm. and uh, not just going with the flow, but actually deprioritizing some things that you might sort of be enjoying over others uh, so that you can experience as much as you can in the time that we have. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think maybe focusing on things like um, global travel, focuses on things like that. I mentioned travel a few times here. Um, and I, I, th I think how we live our lives here in New York and, and just generally as part of that. Um, 
you know, I, I could probably be a little smarter when it comes to health <laughs> as I get older. I think, you know, taking some changes to change that, taking some steps to change that a little bit, I think. Um, it's not exactly a dream, but it's more like, more like an intention. Great. Final stretch number 18. What inspires you? Uh, I really get inspired by working with people from uh, multiple generations with different points of view, different perspectives. Um, the, the uh, you know, the, the, the more voices you can get in the room with, you know, different informed, but diverse points of view, the, 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 the better it gets. And I always learn something from that kind of thing. And that's not just in design. It's um, I'm doing a music project right now with a friend of mine who's 84 and he's a songwriter. And it's amazing. He's basically opened up his whole songbook and we're, uh, you know, finding ways of producing it. And, and he's so open to new ways of making music that he's never seen before because, you know, he, he's, he's never used a click track, for example, uh, or MIDI or whatever. And um, I've learned a ton from that. I've learned a ton from people on my team. We talked earlier about teaching. I mean, the reason that that was inspiring was because of, uh, you know, learning from the students, it's not just a one-way street with, with how you learn there. And I, th I think that's the, um, that's the big inspiration for me is that kind of, that kind of interaction with people. Um, and more pragmatically, I'm really inspired by living, uh, in this city. I, uh, I love the experience of being in a big city generally, but I, I love this place and I'm constantly inspired right now by where I live. Number 19, any advice you'd like to share? Uh, I am going to steal this from somebody who I know in Vancouver. His name's Scott Hawthorne. And he did a Pachacucha about 10 years ago, or Pachacucha, <laughs> or however you pronounce that, excuse me. Um, and uh, his, his speech was all about um, the value of being open to chance meetings, to meeting people that you wouldn't mm. have met otherwise or you wouldn't have connected with. And how that has informed his life, and I, 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 that really resonated with me when I saw that. And he actually took a big bag of tennis balls and knocked them out into the into the audience and said, "Anybody with a tennis ball is welcome to come to my place for dinner." <laughs> um, and uh, and then I think he asked everybody to hand it to the person behind them so he didn't wind up with a whole bunch of Type A people who would jump up and grab the ball. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I love that. And I, I took a lot away from that. And that's how I've met a lot of the people here in New York when we first got here. Uh, my wife, Ro, especially, has been very um, conscious about putting ourselves in situations where we would just have, you know, sort of random meeting with people. And some of these people now have become our best friends. And so that would be the advice that I'd share probably is to keep yourself open to that kind of connection with people that really resonates with me we had john maeda on recently and that unlikely 15 minutes really changed my life i think no fantastic um, i've got to listen to that one actually i haven't listened to that one yet is it out is it is out? out yeah it's up okay i'll check that out um and finally number 20 how can our listeners keep tabs on you how can we follow you um, I, uh, I don't have an enormous social media presence. Uh, I focus mostly on just sort of our internal work here and sort of building sort of direct relationships with clients and things like that. So, uh, but I do a fair amount of public speaking. I was actually just in Vancouver about two weeks ago, um, speaking at a conference there. Uh, and of course I'm on LinkedIn and things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's actually how we got back in touch, wasn't it? It's LinkedIn. Possible. And, yeah. And, uh, you can always get me at CRTKL as well. Great. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on, Paul. You know, I know you from my art school days, but and hearing about your um, New York story and your travels is, of course, very dreamlike, but equally kind of um, 
important for me is hearing about the facilitation work that you do, particularly in the practice space. I think that's a super interesting piece to share. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. I mean, I'm one of those uh, people that's gone from the, the, you know, the model of design where it was, just, you know, we never did a group project when I was in school. Mm. It never happened. And and when you graduate, you were expected to sort of come up with a, you know, be the lone genius and come up with it yourself. Why don't you have the vision, you know? And the moment that I started getting into the industry a little bit further, I realized that design is really changing and it's a, it's something that you really work on. The more collaborative it is, the more diverse the group that you get around the table and the more focused they are on a really clear problem, um, the better it gets. And, and it's, it just keeps getting better. Totally agree. Thank you so much, Paul. Well, thanks for having me. It's been great. It's been great catch, catching up with you, Thomas. All the best to you. Thanks. If you like today's podcast, I encourage you to have a listen to other episodes. You can easily find them at uniqueways.ca or wherever you find podcasts. You can also find us on social media. And thank you. It's you that makes these great, and it's you who these are for. Stay tuned for more Unique Ways. Mm -hmm.